0: Here's a provocative but practical question. Why should you be humble in a self-centered world? Wherever you look, you see people are in it for themselves. Yes, some people are kind, some people are nice, some people are compassionate. But by and large, especially the, the, the driven, ambitious person, it's about me, me, me. And if you fit my needs... I'll do something for you as well, give and take. Why should you be humble in a self-centered world? That's what we will talk about. Please join me, choosing humility in a self-centered world. And this has unbelievable and far-reaching implications in our lives. Because if we don't have an answer to that question, then will we actually be humble? Hi everyone, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be talking about choosing humility in a self-centered world. This uh, program is in honor of Dahlia Abraham Klein's birthday. May your purpose in life be revealed to you, and thereafter, act on it. May you always find a way to elevate this world and cultivate love. So, yes, welcome to an interesting discussion and a provocative but practical question. Why be humble in a self centered world? You may have heard the one about the two guys who go camping in the middle of the night. One guy wakes up, he hears rustling about, and he looks out, peeks out from the tent, and sees a bear. A bear. And he wakes up his friend and says, We gotta get out of here. There's a bear out there. And while he's doing so, he's tying his sneakers, he's tying his shoelaces. And his friend says to him, do you think you can outrun the bear? He says, no, all I have to do is outrun you. This captures so much of people's attitudes in life. You know, I often quote Richard Dawkins' book, The Selfish Gene, making the argument that everything in this world, even the very gene, is selfish. Because it's about the survival of the fittest. Darwin's famous statement, which has also been applied to what we call social Darwinism, even though Darwin himself did not necessarily advocate that, but the concept of survival of the fittest. You see it in business, you see it in personal life, you see it everywhere. The the, the drive of an individual, the egocentric drive. Now, when ego is out of control, it becomes destructive, intolerant of others, and it even leads to war. Wars have been fought. People have been killed because of somebody's ego and self-centeredness or a group's self-centeredness. That's the worst-case scenario. But even in that worst-case scenario, we do live in a world that's a pretty selfish world. So why be humble? Why choose humility when when very few people are doing so? Why should I stand out? Why should I lose out when others are being driven by their own selfishness. Now, we know the word selfish is like, people don't like to hear the word, I'm selfish, you're selfish, or egocentric. But the fact remains that most people have a very healthy ego, and I say healthy, it could also be an unhealthy ego, and their real drive is to take care of themselves. Now, this does not preclude the fact that many people who are driven by that are also compassionate people, sensitive people, And they may have either in their wiring or their education or they're just their own value system, an element of giving, an element of not being just me, me, me. But still, even in human nature, you feel yourself and your needs before anyone else's. Even if you're charitable and giving, the self always comes first in our natural sense. You can fight it and you can restrain it and you can channel it and harness it. But the bottom line, when you wake up in the morning... When you wake up in the morning, you feel your needs first. You're hungry, you're tired, you're thirsty, other needs. Of course you can learn and we teach our children to also think about others and not just to take care of yourself. But in the philosophical and psychological sense of the word, this is a question that some people ask, some people don't ask. Some people are afraid to ask because once you ask the question, you open up a Pandora's box. I remember once giving a lecture, and I, and I opened with a question. Why be good? Why be kind? Good people and kind people also die. And as one cynic put it, or more, probably more than one cynic, and they're buried in the same ground as, the, as, righteous, as, 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 wicked, as wicked people are buried in the same ground as kind people. So why be kind? And I challenged the audience to answer that question. One person said it's just the right thing to do. Another said, God said so. A third, it makes you feel good. What do you tell your children when they say, look, I see a lot of people who are not so kind. Why should I pay the price and be kind? Why can't I just be selfish? Now we know it goes against us, some grain of our instinct, a certain feeling inside that doesn't feel right. But explain it. Is it just a feeling? And if one day you're in a bad mood, you don't feel it, then it's fine. All the answers given, it feels right, God said so, it's just the right thing to do, they're pretty arbitrary. You could challenge them. And as I said, what happens if you're not in the mood one day? So the same question can be applied to humility. And really every positive virtue, where you forego something, you sacrifice something, you compromise, at least that's the way it appears, for the benefit of another. If you share some of your money with you're being charitable, then you have less money. Simple as that. If you share some of your food, you have less food. Everything in this material world cannot cannot be owned by two people at once. You can't sit in the same, two people can't sit in the same space. Everything occupies its own space and time. So fundamentally, if you give to another, you are less for it. And yet, we see the, the noble values of virtue, of giving, of generosity, of kindness to the point that people have sacrificed their own good for another. People have sacrificed their lives for another. Which brings it, let's bring this, since we're already being provocative, let's bring it to the real big question. What would you do if you're in a circumstance where nobody's watching and you won't be caught, but if you turn in someone else, you will be saved? Or, Let's say it's a situation, a crisis situation, an avalanche, and there are people trapped, and there's no food to eat, and you're dying from hunger, and one person is very weak about to die. We know evidence of people who've turned cannibalistic. Cannibalistic, can you imagine? Would you partake in the meat of another human being, God forbid, or even help facilitate that person's death if you see they're dying anyway? Or they're weak or vulnerable in order to save your own life. Now, most people would say, never, never. But you see very normal people who under regular circumstances you would never imagine it. We don't know what we would do under duress. It can drive you crazy hunger. Or if you were tortured. And these are not just hypotheticals. I had a grandfather, my namesake, was tortured in order to inform on others. And many could not could succumbed many could not withstand the torture they said no no. we'll let you be at peace you and your family we'll stop the torture a real terrible torture what would you do now no one should ever be tested but the fact of the matter is some people do do um, compromise themselves and some will not now what is it are they wired differently do they have more willpower what is going on but it's clearly the case. you cannot make the argument that everybody becomes selfish, because we've seen in history that's not the way. People have died for others, and there are others that would do anything just to protect themselves. the capos in the concentration camps, people who have turned to cannibalism. I'm not judging right now because, as I said, everybody has to deal with this in their own way. No one should ever be tested. But it does push us to the limits to understand what is what drives us and what is the ultimate drive, force within us that drives us to either be selfish or not to be so. To forego our own comfort for another person. Now we see in the name of love, people will forego certain things. You love someone. But love too can be seen, okay, it's in your selfish interest to be sacri- to sacrifice. Because that person is an extension of you. Or because you get something in return? So, you could always make the selfish argument even for selflessness. But you could also make a selfless argument for selfishness, as we'll discuss briefly, shortly, I should say. So, what we have here is a very fundamental question that many of us may be never forced to ask ourselves why be good? Why be humble? In a sem- in a, why choose humility in a self centered world? So, let's begin philosophically, and then we'll move to the psychological side. Philosophically, really, the question has to be asked, what's the purpose of life? Is the, does it matter to you? And if it matters to you, are you ready to do something about it? And those are three separate questions. What is the purpose of life? Many people will answer, I don't really know. If you don't really know, most likely your default state will be to take care of yourself first. Now, that doesn't always mean a negative thing. What means take care of yourself? Make sure that you're healthy. Make sure that you're successful. Make money. Comfort, security. Maybe build a family. All part of, that's what I do. And it makes total sense to me. So most people don't even ask the question, what what is the purpose of life? Even if you do ask the question, and you come to a determination then what do you do about it? Are you ready to do something about it? So you see, these questions are critical to the whole picture because without that, obviously, no person, why would a person who's completely, think of an animal, an animal in the wild, they don't ask the question, what's the purpose of, their lo- of life? They know the purpose of their lives, and that is to exist, to breed, to protect their young, which includes hunting, feeding themselves and their young, and perpetuating their species. And there's no other choice. There's no other option. And when they need to be predators, they'll be predators. And when they're, hung- they're, and they're filled and sated, then they won't be predators. Meaning they won't go hunting. Are we the same way? Clearly not. Because we have another side to us, which is a transcendent side. But let's get back first to purpose. So if your answer is, yes, the purpose of life, is to come into this world that your soul is sent to this world to illuminate to warm and to elevate and refine your environment that purpose is the most is the overriding force of everything then you don't fall back to a default state I'll just take care of myself I'll try to do it civilly so it really comes down to what lies at your core and who are you at your core now if you take a freudian a freudian darwinian model the id Survival of the fittest. The core is self, pleasure. And yet, we create rules, red lights and green lights, to just maneuver and coexist with each other. And in that case, the purpose each person makes their arbitrary purpose of whatever they feel is important in them in their lives. However, if you take a very alt- a different approach, that purpose pr- precedes your existence. Not your existence defines your purpose and that purpose is that you were sent here. your soul was sent there for a purpose, and for a mission and a calling, and that calling is to do something with your life and those around you, then goodness and humility is part of your mission. And if it's your mission, that's what you do. Think of a, uh, someone in the military. They've chosen to be part of the military. They don't have the option, I'll just take care of my needs. How important there is, is, is following an order? Teamwork. Being loyal to your, co- to your, co- to your colleagues. It's critical. That's why in, in, the, in the military, such severe laws, if a person, if there isn't that type of discipline, if there's any form of mutiny, God forbid, because it undermines the whole welfare of the whole structure. So everybody understands it in the military. The same thing with an astronaut that goes to space. It's not just you can do whatever you like. First of all, you put yourself in danger if you do whatever you like. You have to eat what they tell you to eat. You have to dress a certain way. There's a whole protocol that you must follow when you're in in an environment that is dangerous and you're vulnerable. So everyone understands it in 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 those situations. But you can also live your life in this world feeling that you're a soldier, that you're a person in a larger army, a spiritual army, with a spiritual mission. And if that's the case, then the prices you pay are not prices. That's the fulfillment of your purpose. It's actually realizing who you are. So so completely counterintuitive. The selfish person says, the more I take, the more I, me, 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 the more I am. The person who has purpose and mission in life, no, the more I give, the more I fulfill my mission, that's the more I am. The same you, is fulfilled in very different different ways. One is about me becoming more what I want and need, and the other is becoming more of what my purpose and the service that I offer in this, in this world. And that doesn't mean that you don't get your needs met. It's just not driven and beginning and end with your needs. I've discussed this many times in the context of relationships. You can see love as a purely selfish element, just like you need bread, water, food, drink, sleep, exercise. We need love, companionship, intimacy, friendship. Everything that love comes, commitment, devotion. But it could be seen as another need. Or you can see love as an expression of transcendence. It's more what you give than what you take. It's the ability to go beyond yourself and experience another human being. That's very different. In the first scenario, it's you and the other person is fulfilling your needs. So it becomes more of you, an extension of you. In the other case, no, it's about putting yourself aside and allowing another person in, creating space for another human being, listening to what they say. Perhaps they have a different approach to things. It's actually challenging your self-contained identity and allowing you to experience wider vistas and horizons and broader horizons. Very different perspective. And the same thing everything in life you can look at. If either you have no purpose or you come to the determination that purpose is simply what you want and what you need, then obviously you're going to take one approach. But a person who's driven by purpose, and that purpose is to do something with your life, to give, to serve, to illuminate, to shine, to refine. It's what you give more than what you take. Then there's a very different way of what we call fulfillment. And then humility and giving and kindness and virtue is not a price you pay. It's actually the greatest gift to you because you're fulfilling your very purpose of life. Does it, yes, does it mean that you have to forego some of your initial, your comfort zone and your immediate instant gratification? Yeah, but that's, you're not forgoing yourself. You're forgoing the distractions and temptations that don't let you fulfill your purpose. So you see, my friends, what lies at the heart here is really getting to who are you and what makes you tick and why are you here. That's where the whole argument begins, based on that principle, that axiom. So if you don't have that in place, of course the question is a very simple question. Why be selfish in a, in a, in a self-centered world? But if you, the answer would be, it's a self-centered people. Your life is driven by being a giver. And that gives you much more security and much more purpose and fulfillment in life. So the question is a very legitimate one when you go with a self-centered attitude, but not when you go with a purpose-driven life as opposed to a self-driven life. And that explains really the idea that humility, therefore, is yes, it's a beautiful virtue, everyone agrees. But not for me, someone else, let them be humble. The humble will not succeed. If you're too humble, you're not going to be ambitious enough and driven enough. And I would propose the exact opposite. Humility is not the opposite of a drive. Humility means there's something greater than you are, that you're dedicated your life to something greater than you are. And that's the greatest gift. You become a far greater person. So the ironic statement would be that humility actually makes you greater. And arrogance or, the, or whatever the opposite of humility is makes you smaller. It makes you think you're bigger because for the moment it seems like you're taking more. Like you, 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 you may win a battle, but you lose the war because ultimately, number one, you're not fulfilling your purpose, and number two, it's not ultimately fulfilling. So humility should not be, deceived, should not be um, confused with low self-esteem. It doesn't mean a person who has no self-esteem. It means a person has so much self-esteem that they're secure enough to be able to refrain, to be able to give space to another, to be humble, they don't have to constantly dominate and always say, I'm here. My opinion is always the right one. So humility comes from strength. Look at a truly wise person. Where do you see their wisdom more? In their, in their presentation of ideas? In their brilliance? Or in their silence? In their restraint? The true wise person, if you study them, you'll see much more from what they, they don't reveal than what they reveal. Because it takes a lot more wisdom to not say something at times. Now, why do they do that? Not because they have nothing to say, because that's what wisdom is. You're secure enough to not have to always be the the dominating voice. You're secure enough. You don't become less if you didn't express your opinion. You express it by need when it's necessary, not just to show I'm here, I'm important. I have something to say. Insecure people need to do that. Secure people, that's fine. You have an opinion, it's fine. I don't have to always state my opinion. It's true at times it's important to state your opinion because there's a position to be held. It could be value systems, other things that need to, you need to take a stand. But it's case by case. Fundamentally, it's not because you want to express yourself, it's because you need to express yourself, because the situation demands it. Not because I need to spread myself out. Someone once came to the Tzemach tzedek, a great Hasidic master, mystic, leader, and said to him, Rebbe, my, he told him Rebbe, my master, my teacher. When I come to synagogue, everyone's stepping on me, meaning people were humiliating him, and he felt constantly being being humiliated, being um, downgraded or whatever it may be by others. So the smart Rebbe said to him, If you don't spread yourself out over the whole shul, over the whole synagogue, no one will step on you. In other words, the humble person can't be stepped on because they don't put themselves out there as being a target. So it's interesting that silence, and I'm talking about science, silence that comes from strength, not weakness, that silence, humility, actually is the greatest strength of all because it's coming from a strong place. That's the key thing. It's not coming because you're weak or indecisive or afraid to voice your opinion. It's coming from a strong place that's not important. I don't need to voice my opinion right now. So in all of that, we see an element in these virtues that's not just a nice virtue. And you know what? It's important to be kind or good. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. But the fact that maybe you lose out from something, fine. In life, that's what it is. You give something and you take something. You have to give up something in order to gain something. It's far deeper than that. You gain more by this humility, by this kindness. So going back to the question, what difference does it make if you're a kinder person? Yeah, for the moment, it could be the person who's less kind may seem to gain more, but not forever. That's a temporary, short-term thing. Kindness lives on forever, as does humility. So for the moment, yes, you can feel that you've won the the, the short race, but in the the long term, even after we pass on, the goodness that we bring into this world is forever. So kindness is not just the right thing to do now or what God wants. All that is true. And that makes you feel better and you'll be rewarded. It makes the human race better. It's also because kindness is, makes the world fulfill its meaning and purpose and your own individual meaning and purpose. And when you do that, that lives on. It's eternal. Your body may die, but your soul does not. Your your your, your Actual presence may not be there, but the deeds, the good deeds that you did, the humble acts, the noble behavior, the virtues, the kindness, the generosity, the charity, that lives on forever and ever and is remembered by those that you've helped. An arrogant person, once they're not here, many some people say good riddance, and even if you remember them, doesn't you don't remember them forever, unless they were so destructive and then you remember them in a negative way. But a good person who's done goodness and shown humility is forever. Now some people noticed it and some people may not have noticed it but it still lives on forever. So we're talking about here the stakes are high. The choice is clear. Are you going to choose temporary gratification, temporary comfort over long-term eternity? Are you going to choose a life that you've decided is all about you or a life of purpose and deeper purpose? Now that. Can be a discussion of its own. How do we know there's deeper purpose? So I'm not, as you know, my approach is not a mathematical. I'm not going to scientifically prove it. To me, it resonates more, and it's a choice each of us has to make. If someone told me, "Hey, I want to live a selfish life. There's no light. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. Everything you said doesn't mean anything to me." God bless you. I'm not going to argue with someone like that. That's what you feel. That's what you feel. I'm speaking about what I believe resonates and I believe that many people feel resonates and trying to build a framework around it and that is that we have a life of purpose and meaning. Like many axioms, you know, you can also make an argument, I can't even prove to you that we exist. Someone says maybe all this is an illusion, maybe it's a computer program, maybe it's a machine, a matrix. How could I disprove that? Because any proof is also part of the machine, it's also part of the program. You can't even prove that we actually exist. But then there's what we make a choice. We make a choice that I'm going to live a life as a, that I believe that I do exist. I do believe that we have purpose and you have purpose. And each of us has something to contribute to this world that you and only you can contribute. And that's what drives, this should be the driving force. The soldier in the in the military, since he knows his purpose is to do what he has to do, so that he does that with full, full alacrity, with full commitment. Doesn't say to himself, "Hey, I can leave the military and just go out and do whatever I want." This is the mission. You were sent as an astronaut to space to land on the moon, to to go to Mars or whatever it may be. This is my mission, and I want to fulfill my mission. Every mission is going to have guidelines. Somebody wants to be a pianist, a musician, an athlete. is going to take discipline, but the discipline isn't seen as just an exertion when you understand the goal because I'm mission driven. And the mission drives what I do. So yes, everybody else, all my friends are going out to play. I need to rehearse right now. I need to practice. Of course it's easier, the instant gratification. But but it's more purposeful, is to live up to your calling. And that's what drives the behavior, the restraint, the kindness, the generosity, and the humility. So choosing humility in a self-centered world is really choosing purpose over selfishness choosing a purpose-driven life over a self-centered one. That's really how it should be rephrased. And once you have that in place, everything else follows. To go convince a person who's self-centered to the person who's tying his sneakers so I can outrun you to have humility, to have selflessness, why? There's no reason to be that way. But to tell them you have a purpose in life, and your purpose in life is to shine, is to help, is to serve. That changes everything. Those people that did not succumb, did not resign, did not give in and surrender to torture or to excruciating circumstances, I would submit, besides maybe how they were wired, that they had a deep sense of purpose and I could I betray myself even if no one is looking, even if no one's seeing what's happening and there will be no consequences at least on an ostensible or obvious level. But I'm betraying my whole purpose if I do that. And that's what you have to live with. Now some people say, hey, you can forget about it. Don't worry about it. I remember that scene in Crimes and Misdemeanors where the guy ends up killing his mistress or whatever it may be, the Woody Allen movie. And it's uh, the whole cynicism of Woody Allen cynicism and he's sitting at the end of the film and they're talking about he did something really terrible and he's like, sort of trying to get it off his chest speaking to someone, a stranger. And the stranger and he says to the stranger, you, can, you know, you can get away with it. So the guy says, No, you can't get away with it. Ultimately it's going to come back to haunt you. Your conscience that you did something really wrong. And he looks at him and says, You think everything's like a movie? Just has a happy ending? The cynicism of that. You no? Know, that attitude. That thing's that the portrait of Dorian Gray, Oscar Wilde, captures the same idea where Dorian Gray gives away his soul to the devil. And what does he get in return? Eternal life. So he remains young, vibrant, but there's a painting up in the attic that, that ages instead of him. And finally he gets so curious to see, he lives a life, a, a hedonistic, destructive life, taking advantage. And if his, if his real colors were shown on his face, he would look like a devil. Instead... The painting changes and he goes up to see the painting and he sees it's grotesque, it's ugly. Every sin he did, every transgression, the painting captures and he simply can't take it so he cuts, he takes a knife and starts cutting up the painting and what happens? It all transfers over to him and he dies right, he dies. Old age and you suddenly see his real face. The painting ends up being the beautiful painting of what he looked like when he was young. So yes, can we live a life and get away with it? Say People say all the time, you know, the crime is that, uh, that I got caught. Nothing wrong with doing things. I got caught. Many people are not going to say that about being unkind to another person or selfish or destructive. It just doesn't, it's not, uh, it's not appropriate. So even though many people behave that way, they're not going to say, oh, I'm proud that I'm a selfish person who steps on everyone else. But in the feelings, many people have that feeling. So from the philosophical, we move to the psychological, that, that once you have purpose, and that purpose drives your real life, it's not just a philosophical, abstract idea, then your life is driven by purpose, and purpose dictates kindness, generosity. And then you realize it's really you, The best of you is emerging. It's not like you're fundamentally a selfish person and here and there you do some kind things. No, you're fundamentally a kind person and here and there you're capable of doing selfish things. We're not physical beings on a spiritual journey. We're spiritual beings on a physical journey. And when you know that's your purpose deep inside, yes, will we always be perfect? Of course not. People make mistakes, but you won't make a philosophy out of your mistakes. You won't make a philosophy out of your flaws. You'll say, I had a setback, I succumbed, I was selfish a bit, maybe too selfish. But you recognize that the purpose of your life is driven by that greater approach, love, to give love, to shine. And you have it all inside of you, which is the ultimate confidence and self-esteem, as I said. It's not that humility is coming from weakness, it's coming from your strength. It's coming from your ability to put yourself aside for the greater good, for something greater than yourself. It's opening yourself up to the bigger picture. And I'll conclude with a story from Chelem that I often tell. The farmer in Chelem. Chelem. was this little town in Poland. They say very smart people, intelligent people lived there, but their neighbors were resentful, so they created this whole folklore of the fools of Chelem. All kinds of interesting stories that really capture our own the absurdity of our own psyches. So one, the classic one, Everybody knows that it's used a lot in recovery. A guy's looking for his keys at night. And he can't find them, so a friend comes over and says, let me help you look. Let's start from the beginning. Where'd you lose them? And he points 100 yards away. 100 yards away, why are we looking here? He says, because here the light is shining. In other words, we look for problems where it's easy to look for problems. Conveniently. So the story I want to share is the farmer of Chelem. Chelem was a small town. So you can imagine the farmer of Chelem was even smaller. But it was his farm. He inherited from his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. It was in the family. He knew every grain of soil. It was like his baby. One day, a big city farmer from the United States comes to visit his cousin. And they're sitting. And he gives him a royal tour of his his farm. They sit down to dinner. And the Chelem farmer says to the big city farmer, says, what what do you think about my farm here? He says, it's nice and cute but it's so tiny. And the Chelem farmer is so taken aback and insulted. He says, how big is your farm in Iowa or Kansas, wherever it may be? So how is he going to explain to him a farm that's hundreds or thousands of acres, larger than the whole city of Chelem? So he says to him, well, my farm, he's looking for a point of reference. Cousin, my farm? It takes me all day to travel from one end with my tractor, It takes me all day to travel from one end of the farm to the other end. That's what he tells him. So the Chalem farmer suddenly, his eyes change, his demeanor turns into compassion, empathy, and says to his cousin, don't feel bad. I once had a tractor like that too. He couldn't even fathom that type of size farm. So for sure, the problem is not that it was such a large farm. It was the, the tractor. He once also had a jalopy Shmata jalapi that took him all day to crank up to go from here to there. That's how he couldn't even fathom that size. But if, but, but not, and he wasn't malicious. If I asked you, are you subjective, narrow minded, close minded? Most people will say no. But remember, our subjectivity makes us think we're objective. The true answer should be I'm as objective as my perspective allows me. If someone's standing in a, in, a, in a valley and you ask them, what does the horizon look like? They'll have one answer. Someone's standing on a plateau on flat ground. What is the horizon? Another look. Someone standing on the halfway up a mountain. Another answer. Someone on top of Mount Everest. Another answer. Who's saying the truth? They're all telling you the truth from their perspectives. His perspective from his farm, the only way he could understand that t- that takes him all day to travel must be because his tractor is worthless and it takes so long to travel over a small, sore distance. We all have our farms. We all have our subjectivity. And when we think of it that way, yes, that becomes our life. The true sign of greatness, the true sign of of growth, is when you say, one second, this is my farm. There are perhaps greater farms, larger farms. There are broader horizons. That's the difference between a self-centered life and a transcendent one, and a purposeful one. The very idea that it's all about me. Yeah, you may gain right now, have have short-term gain, but it means you'll never grow. You'll never see a bigger picture. And people like that indeed are pretty closed. They may play the game, sometimes they hear something, but not really. Whereas the humble person is the one that's open to greater growth, is always looking to broaden their horizons. And that's a whole different perspective on life. And that, then humility becomes a tremendous asset, not just a nice virtue, a tremendous asset to achieve greatness because you get your own subjectivity out of the way as you allow greater experiences to enter. And that's an ongoing process ad infinitum. As you grow, we grow higher and we see broader horizons. Then we internalize those and then we see even broader ones. That my friends is the beauty of life. But in a self-centered world it's very very easy to become a conformist and just join the herd mentality. Everybody's doing it for themselves, me too. Well, you have another option. And that option is you don't have to follow the herd. You could be unique, you could be a pioneer. You can dare to be a trailblazer. And to contribute what you you, you and uniquely you can contribute and at the same time also recognize how much more there is out there. Understand that love is opening yourself up to another reality greater than yourself. And the same with everything else in our life experiences. So my dear friends, as always, it's a great honor to share a few words. These are topics that to me are like matters of life and death in a way, not death in the physical sense, but spiritually speaking. They're not just optional and arbitrary. They actually can help define your very life. And I hope you feel the same. If you like what you've heard, please share with others. Let's keep the, pay it forward. Let's keep the network growing. And let us all help each other become greater people in that sense. And I'd love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your comments, your critique, suggestions. This this has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center meaningfullife.com, where you can find a full calendar of events each week, topics that really cover the entire spectrum from A to Z, for different audiences, for different ages, and different topics. Please check us out, MeaningfulLive.com. We're here every Wednesday. I do this program live, but it's archived and you can access it as well as our other programs. Thank you again and be blessed and be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.